0: Good morning, church. So great to be here. And I know I say that so often, but I mean it every single time. It is such a joy to worship together with you. Man, we can belt it out in the car or the shower or wherever your sort of secret place is. But there's something about being with you. And as we just look at Jesus and bring our voices together, I just love it. And I know that God is so honored by that. And so for those of you who went here last week, last week was our Vision Sunday where we shared with you what we believe the Lord is wanting us to focus on in this coming year. And and one of the things leading up to talking about the vision that we just had to have a bit of a reality check about was that vision doesn't just get downloaded in a vacuum. God is as aware as you and I are just what our current circumstances are, whether it's South Africa, Joburg, or even globally where we are. And so our vision is going to make sense when it comes to some of the things happening around us. For example, uh, we are just recognizing increasingly where 30, 40 years ago, we could assume that the average person that we engage at some level, had some level of respect for Christianity. Whereas today, increasingly, Christians are not only seen as people who believe weird things, but increasingly we are being painted as the problem. That we are the problem of of the world. And, And increasingly we are seen as guilty until proven innocent. And so the vision is like, Lord, how do we do church in that kind of context? And then when we also look at the world around us, just understanding where we're at and some of the challenges that so many people are facing right now. And so when we look at some of the financial challenges, just rising fuel and property and food costs, when we look at just the rise, the skyrocketing of mental illness, realizing the need is increasingly getting so great. And so, Lord, how do we do church What kind of vision is going to help us in that kind of situation? And then when we even look inside our own church space, and increasingly, and uh, of course, this is one of those things where only bad news really makes the media headlines, but there's been a lot of bad news. There's been a lot of scandal. There's been a lot of disappointments around public churches and public leaders and a lot of loss of faith in this thing called church. We are seeing probably the highest deconversion rates probably ever. And so Lord, when it comes to Vision Sunday, what does it mean when, when that is what we're dealing with and where the world is at and so leading up to the vision, one of the things we wanted to communicate was when we recognize just how deep and painful and dark things are, it doesn't matter what vision I give you, we can't do it. The more you and I rely on clever sermons and Clever structures and, and clever strategies. Nothing wrong with those things. We will always continue to lead well and steward the opportunities that we have well. But the more we think the problems I've just described are going to be solved by our clever thinking, the more we're going to wake up to the harsh reality that that cannot be further from the truth. And when we start envisioning The kind of church, the kind of church, and I do believe that there's so much of this in the heart of Riverside already, but when we start to picture the kind of church that can actually make a difference in this kind of world, where the roots of our faith are getting deeper, and we are being increasingly nourished with faith and hope and love and truth, so that we can withstand Some of the opposition that we're experiencing and will increasingly experience. Where we can envision a community where people, yes, do come and find hope and healing. Where we can be the kind of community where there is a trust. A trust of what the Lord is doing. A trust in my neighbor. A trust in who my people are. And so when we look at, well, what makes that kind of church? And if I boil it down to one kind of molecular unit, what makes that kind of believer? Is it clever structures that make that kind of person? When we look at Scripture, when we look at our own lives, when we look at history, it is not clever strategies that made those kinds of people but rather when people from all sorts of backgrounds had an unmistakable, genuine, transforming encounter with the living Jesus Christ. Everything else came afterwards. The strategy, the ideas came afterwards. But for someone who has had an unmistakable, transforming encounter with Jesus Christ, man, there's a fire in them that cannot be quenched. And so we realize what we need most is that man, and we've sung it today, that the Lord ignites something in us. That every single one of us has an encounter with the Lord whereby something is lit deep within us. It is unmistakable. It is transformative. And it is Jesus and 100% Jesus. Jesus. And yes, all of us are coming from different situations with regards to financial challenge, with regards to doubts, with regards to some of the questions of your faith. But the Lord knows where you're at. And and, and what we're hoping the Lord is going to do in individual lives and collectively for us as a church this year is that, man, He's going to touch us in a special way. Listen, not that He hasn't. Not that he's not here with us right now, but there is a mystery to his presence. There is a sovereign way in which the Lord can just bless us with a greater sense of who he is. And we can call it an encounter with God. We can call it a revival. We can call it by any number of things. Not denying the great work that God is doing. But man, oh man, when he breathes upon us and touches us in an unmistakable way, and for us to be that kind of a church in this kind of world, that is what we need. And, and we're so convinced this is not just a good idea. But it is the Lord himself who is inviting us into this space. But here's the problem. We can't do anything to make God do that. So what are we going to do? Well, as we spoke about last week, and we're going to start with that today, there are ways that we can position ourselves before God. There are ways that we can ask. There are ways that we can pray so that we are best ready, best prepared for God to answer us in this beautiful and powerful way. And so I just hope that your prayer at some level this year becomes God ignite something in me. Do something that's unmistakably you. Touch me in a way, heal me in a way, encounter me in a way, challenge me in a way, but whereby it's you, God. It's you, it's you, it's you. And then as you pray that for yourself, pray that for us as a church as well. So last week, we spoke about kind of seven postures or seven ways that we can come to God. And we're going to go through those in the next few weeks, starting today with the first three. And so the first verse to kick us off on this is John 7, verses 37, where Jesus says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And so here's what we're going to do with each of these verses and each of these postures. We're going to look for a promise to believe. We've got to first, at some level, be convinced that Jesus is the answer. And beyond just, yeah, I know Jesus is the answer. I'm in church. Jesus is always the answer. No, no. At a visceral, emotional, heart and mind level, we need to be convinced that there is a promise that is true. And if true, secondly, we're going to look at a posture to embrace. If this is what Jesus is promising to be true, what posture do I embrace in order to receive what he wants to give me? And so we're going to see that not only am I going to really try to kind of challenge us, do we really believe these things? But we need to go beyond just agreeing with the pastor, agreeing with the verse. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. For example, this verse talks about coming thirsty, and we'll talk about it in a second. For so many of us, and listen, I am guilty of this so often. I go, yeah, yeah, I'm thirsty, I must be thirsty. And we feel like that's been our response. And that's all I need to do. Some of you may even go and memorize that verse. And it's like, well, maybe if I quote this verse enough times, then I'll kind of, kind of you know, say the magic words that will make Jesus do what he needs to do. Whereas what we're going to see is, listen, Scripture is there for us to memorize, but it's there to equip us. And so as I'm challenged to believe something about Jesus and my dependency on him, I need to not just simply say, well, great idea. I need to go beyond simply going, you know, Jesus says I must come thirsty. I need to adopt a posture. And this is not about works righteousness. This is not about if I do these things, I can make God do these things. But rather it's about trust. It's about formation. Jesus is trying to form a posture in us which he knows is for our benefits. And if I allow myself to be formed in these ways, then I can trust that I am better positioned to receive the things that Jesus wants to freely give me. So let's see how this plays itself out in this verse. And so we've already read, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And so here is the promise to belief that Jesus can truly satisfy. He says it in the very next verse. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. The promise is not simply I will satisfy you But I will satisfy you to the degree that you become a source of life, out of which life flows, and your life can become a source of life to others. That is an abundance response to our need and our thirst. And so we're going to be challenged. We can all say amen, but do I really believe this? Well, maybe part of that will become clear when we look at the posture to embrace, and the posture to embrace is to come thirsty, to come thirsty. Now, when it comes to our physical thirst, it's pretty easy to diagnose, right? We learn from a very young age, wah, 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 wah. my body is uncomfortable. We feel a sensation that we identify with being thirsty, very difficult to describe what that feels like, but we just, we know what it feels like. And our bodies let us know we're thirsty, all right? And we know how to respond by having something to drink. So the question is, how do we know when we're spiritually thirsty? Now, some of you are like, Stephen, I know I'm spiritually thirsty. I know I am the deer who's panting for water right now. And and my soul is parched. But for some of us, it's less obvious for the following reasons. Uh, when I was a geologist and I was in my honors year, we went on uh, every year. We went on a big field trip, and we would go out into the Bundu somewhere, and we would spend whole days out there and doing really boring things. Probably for you, but for us, it was pretty exciting. Hiking up and down these mountains and these trails, and we're doing all these mapping and these experiments. And uh, the the one day I still remember, man, I don't know why. But I came back and I was so thirsty after a full day of being in the sun. And they had a cooler box in one of the buckies. And in the cooler box was a couple of cold Powerades. And I was like, that's exactly what I need. And so I drank down about two full Powerades in about five seconds flat. Can anyone predict what happened next? The biggest headache I've ever had in my life. For those of you who don't know, these energy drinks are packed with sugar and caffeine. And while in my mind, I thought, this is how I'm going to meet the needs of my thirst, it did more damage than anything else. And so what we do is something in us, maybe at a conscious level, maybe at an unconscious level, is driving us and is somehow communicating to me that we need to fill this space with something. But because we don't believe that Jesus can satisfy, we go to porn, sexual encounters, food, money, work, power, And some of those things are very obviously the wrong thing to meet my need of spiritual thirsts. Some of those are good things. The problem is good things are bad God things. And so when I go to some of these good gifts that are finite and that should point me rather to the giver, I am hoping that the more money I have, the more my soul will be satisfied. The problem is, how much money do you need? Doesn't matter how much you have, just a little bit more. Right? As much as food is a gift, man, something horrible happens when I hope that the more I distract myself with food or the more that I fill myself with food, the more I'm really hoping it meets not a physical need, but a spiritual need. And that is true with relationships. That is true with power. That is true with almost anything that is not God. And the way I experience that is me and that power rate. And so we need to learn to perhaps be a little bit objective, become an observer of my life and say, listen, these things you're filling your life with, are they truly satisfying you? I quoted this verse a number of months ago, but I don't think there's a better verse to describe this experience where in Jeremiah 3, 13, my people have committed two sins. Number one, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And number two, they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. We try and meet this need of thirst in ways that I can control. The problem is, if we're really honest, we're thirstier than ever. And so, when we look at the posture that Jesus is calling us to adopt, what does this look like? Well, earlier it said, "Come to me and drink." We have to believe that Jesus is the one who can satisfy. But going on, whoever believes in me, there is something to believe that is true about him, as Scripture has said, "Rivers of living water will flow from within them." But by this, verse 39, he meant the spirits whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirits had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Knowing and believing that the way Jesus wants to meet you in your place of spiritual thirst is by giving you His Spirit. That is one of the many reasons if you're in life groups, and we've been trying to get more and more people involved in life groups because we're doing this Holy Spirit module, recognizing that there's almost no one in the room that doesn't come with baggage when it comes to the things of the Holy Spirit. And either being exposed to some crazy teaching, maybe believing some crazy things, or being burnt by some crazy things. But if we take all of that off the table for two seconds, Jesus, I don't know about my experience and I don't know about some of the strange things that I've seen, but you say, the way that you want to meet my spiritual thirst is by giving me your spirit. I'm going to trust you on that one. I'm going to trust you on that one. Now listen How often do you drink water? Don't ask my wife. She drinks it in the evening and tries to make up for all two liters. But even if that's what you do, you've got to do it every day, right? Ephesians 5.18 says that we need to constantly be filled with God's Spirit. And so if we're thirsty, it's not just about the Sunday. It's not just about that one conference or that one experience but rather recognizing my thirst, believing the promise that Jesus alone can satisfy man and every single day bringing my need before him and saying, Jesus, would you cause spirits? Sorry, would you cause rivers of living water to flow from within me? Would you give me your spirit? And then when I'm thirsty tomorrow, I pray the same thing. And when I'm thirsty the next day, I pray the same thing. Let's move on to... The second thing that Jesus wants to give us, Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Come to me, all you who are living in 2023, weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What is the promise to believe? That Jesus can give you true rest. Now, listen, notice whether we look at these verses or just at the whole testimony of Scripture, Jesus doesn't always qualify how he's going to do that. He doesn't always say, Don't worry, from tomorrow, your evil boss is out and life's going to be easy from that day onwards. Oh, your financial challenges, just open up your banking app tomorrow morning. There's going to be a million bucks in there. In other words, he doesn't always promise to give us rest by changing our circumstances. I believe the far more miraculous rest he wants to give us is that whether we are living in a time of abundance and, and blessing and ease or a time of challenge and opposition, he wants to give you the kind of rest that will sustain you In all situations. That is the promise to believe. I love how the message puts this. As Eugene Peterson tries to get the heart of what Jesus is saying across to us. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? I think all of us can tick all those three questions. Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the, and I think this is the greatest few words Eugene Peterson has ever put to paper, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. So that's the promise to believe. Will Jesus deliver on that? So, if that is true, what is the posture to embrace? How do we position ourselves and allow ourselves to be shaped to best receive what Jesus wants to give me? Well, he says here, going back to the NIV, Come to me, meaning in my desperation, in my burnt outness, in my tiredness, in my disillusionments. I need to run to him. Number one, and then the way he says it in the NIV is, take my yoke upon you. That's a rabbi speak for saying what Eugene Peterson helps us understand. Do things my way. Can you see how this is so much bigger than just quote this verse every time you feel a bit challenged? Because you can quote this verse a million times a day without ever taking on the yoke of Jesus. And then he says, Learn from me. Become my, to put it differently, my disciple. To maybe transliterate that for us, translate that for us. Become my apprentice. And then as you do that, you will start to experience what my yoke is truly like and the kind of rest I'm trying to give you. Now listen, I understand that life is so crazy busy. It is so busy. It is so demanding. Most of us, myself included, get to the end of every single day and we have these voices accusing us in our mind that we haven't done enough. You are not enough. You haven't performed well enough. And we convince ourselves if we do more tomorrow, if we work harder tomorrow, then maybe I'll quiet down these voices in my head that are driving me crazy. And I love the fact that on one hand, Jesus identifies with that. You who are worn out and burnt out and you who are desperate. But on average, when we are in those seasons of life, Remember, I said I was going to challenge us, challenge us with do we truly believe Jesus at His Word? What is the first thing we tend to cut out of our lives when we are worn out, burnt out, and desperate? Our spiritual times of receiving from Jesus, yeah. Listen, I don't say this to make anyone feel guilty. Because we're all guilty as charged. And maybe the second one is sleep. <laughs> we cut out sleep, right? And we believe man, because I'm so stressed out, what I really need is nothing wrong with a vacation. Sometimes we need that. Sometimes that's the godliest thing you can do, even if it's Romania. Okay? But we believe another oh, answer is the vacation. Or oh, just need, I need to disconnect my brain and and just watch three hours of Netflix. Again, nothing wrong with TV except for when we look to it to give me what only Jesus can give me. We're going crazy. We say yes to everything and everyone, but we say no to Jesus. And so we need to learn how to say yes to Jesus, to learn from him, to find rest in him. And what that looks like. Now, of course, there are busy seasons in our lives. Not everyone in this room is able to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to take Tuesday morning off work and just you know, sit in a sunbeam of your presence. Some of us are like, listen, if I do that, I'm fired. Man, I'm just trying to juggle two jobs here. And if I don't live up to these expectations, my kids go hungry. And so first and foremost, I just want to recognize that I do honestly believe that if our lives are that chaotic and if it's out of our control and not primarily because of our lack of discipline, I believe Jesus has a ton of grace for us. And so maybe if that is honestly the life phase that you're in, young families, nappy changing five times a night, Right. The question is, well, how do I find rest with Jesus in this lifestyle? Now, I don't always know the answer to that question. I believe it's worth figuring it out through trial and error sometimes. I just want to give you one way. One pastor described how he tried to do this. In a super busy season of his life, I think he had three or four kids, young kids, growing church, and just had no time to himself. So here's the way he tried to do it. Before every big meeting, he would literally put in his diary five minutes of margin just to close the door, close his eyes, and find rest with Jesus for those five minutes. Then, man, he's just had a rough day, and he's had people sending him emails and complaining about things. Now he's going to go home to three kids who need his time and his attention. So here's what he was do: He'd park his car just around the corner from the house. And for five minutes, just close his eyes, breathe in God's grace, find rest with Jesus, and then bring that rest with him into his chaotic family home. And I believe if we found ways of doing that even in the busiest seasons of our life we will start to find Jesus giving us this kind of rest and this kind of quality of rest that he wants to give us so that's the second posture that we can adopt is to come desperate but come to him and learn from him and the third one comes from John 15 verses 5 where Jesus says I am the vine you are the branches if you remain in me And I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, we have spoken about this verse here at Riverside so much. There's almost nothing left to say. So maybe this can just serve as a reminder to us. What is the promise to believe out of these verses? That fruitful life, fruitful life, put differently, flourishing life, is to be found in Jesus. And what is the posture to embrace? I believe the posture to embrace is to come dependence, Where I truly believe that if I want to live the flourishing, fruitful life, where Jesus himself says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you do want to have this kind of fruitful life, you have to be so dependent on what I can give you. I just want to give us a few thoughts to try and self-diagnose sometimes why we don't. On one hand, we live in a culture where I think so many of us have come to believe that being dependent on others is a sign of weakness. Just think about two people describing their lives in two different ways. Person one, you know, I've got so many people who depend on me Person two, I depend on so many people. Now I, I, th- I think we know what the right answer should be, but isn't there something in each and every one of us that when we hear the person who stands up and declares, how many people rely on them? We're like, oh, that's the strong man. And when someone declares that. I don't have it within me, and so I've got to depend on so many people around me. Something broken within us goes, that's weakness. I've got less respect for that person, which is a lie from the pits of hell and is destroying more families in Johannesburg than probably anything else. So we've come to believe that dependence is weakness. The second reason why I believe we struggle to come to Jesus with this posture is if we're going to be honest with ourselves, at some level, and it's related to the first one, we believe that prayer is inefficient. I've got so much to do today, Jesus. I don't have time for prayer. I don't have time for my little devotion. Maybe highlighting how we see our time with Jesus. And because I've got these things that I need to do, I'm going to place my trust in what I can do and in my strength. And then we get to the end of the day and we kind of go, wow, look at what I did today. And because of the feelings that we get from that success. Oh, and by the way, I did all of that without prayer. And I was okay. Let me do the same tomorrow. Now, while we can fool ourselves for a day or two, maybe a week or two, maybe a month or two, at some point we need to recognize you live that lifestyle, you are going to be coming to Jesus desperate and burnt out and fatigued. And we're going to realize that all the efforts that I've been putting into my life have counted for nothing. None of this counts for eternity. And so we need to learn to trust Jesus at his word, that apart from him, we can do nothing. And the posture is to come dependent, to literally abide on him, to hold onto him, trusting that apart from the life that he breathed into me, I can do nothing of eternal value. Listen, when it comes to this thing called Christianity, there's kind of two ways that we can do this. The first way is to do just whatever, in our own minds we believe is the bare minimum I need to do to become a Christian because I want the get-out-of-jail-free card. I want to go to the good place, not the bad place. What must I do for that? Okay, fine, say these things, you know, pray these things, and okay, I'm done. Bare minimum. Just by the way, the scripture has such big warnings for us, if that's been our posture of coming to Jesus. I'm not saying playing judge and jury, I think each person's difference. And Jesus alone knows. But for some of us, it's that bare minimum thing, and then living out the Christian walk. What is the bare minimum I need to do to kind of be this Christian thing? So oh, having been to church for like three weeks, oh I better go to church. Because that's what we do, right? Oh, you know, I'm like just flicking all the time. And I know Christians shouldn't be flicking, so let me just try and flick in private. (laughs) That's kind of one way to do this thing. And I know that if that is your posture, sermons like today sound like give up all the fun stuff and do a whole lot of boring Christian stuff. I know that because I fight that in my own heart, which is why I've been trying to get it to be so crystal clear on what are the promises to believe? And what is Jesus wanting to give us that only He can give us? And then if I truly believe those things, not here, the 20 Christian things to do every week. No, how do I be shaped? How do I come to him with a kind of receptive posture so I am best positioned to receive what he wants to give me? Because this is not what Jesus wants from you. It's what he wants for you. He wants to fill that eternal void in you with His life-giving Spirit. He wants to give you the kind of rest that no thing in this world can take away. He wants to produce out of your life fruitfulness and purpose and abundance That's what he wants for you. And so, just to remind you, this is all about church. How do we recognize that what I need most is not these 10 clever ideas, but Jesus Himself? How do I respond to His promises in such a way that I don't earn His promises? but I'm shaped to receive his promises. And so that we can, Riverside, man, by God's grace and goodness, be met in those places. So let's look at the first promise to believe that Jesus can truly satisfy. And so I need to come thirsty. Number two, the promise to believe is that Jesus can give you true rest. And so I need to come to him desperate. Number three, the promise to believe is that fruitful life is found in Jesus, and so I need to come dependence. One of the mental exercises I did yesterday was, what is the, the opposite of these postures? Well, instead of coming thirsty to receive the satisfaction Jesus alone can give, we come believing that our thirst has already been quenched with other things. And so we sit here, arms raised, but we think we're sorted. God, I've got this. Or instead of coming desperately, I come distracted. Or instead of coming dependent, I come with a sense of self dependence. Yeah? And so the starting point for every single one of us is on each of those levels to acknowledge where I haven't believed and where I have gone instead of Jesus. They're connected. Because if I truly believe that Jesus can satisfy, my behavior is going to come out of that. And so I'm going to pose these questions to you and I don't want you to sit there and let these words just kind of wave over you, but do this exercise with me. Maybe it was, if you can come up. Do you believe that Jesus, the presence and the power of Jesus alone can satisfy your deepest needs? Do you believe that? Now, maybe even intellectually we're convinced, but there's something in our lives that is disconnected, and so I've gone everywhere else. Hoping that this thing will satisfy, this habit will satisfy, this hobby will satisfy. Again, nothing wrong with some of these things in their right place. And so, where have you gone as a substitute? For the satisfaction that only Jesus can give, let's just get real. Jesus knows this is for you to get real with Him. Number two, do you truly believe that Jesus can give you true rest? Where have you been seeking the kind of rest that only Jesus can give? Now listen, sometimes Jesus is going to say to you, learn to get a full night of sleep. Sometimes Jesus is going to say to you, listen, you need to spend more time with me. Sometimes he's going to say to you, you need to re-nurture some some life-giving relationships through whom I can bless you and give you great and meaningful joy. Sometimes he is gonna say, Listen, you need to this is like life or death. You need to cut off some of these commitments in your life, even if it costs you a raise or whatever the case might be. But if you don't do this, man, things are gonna end badly. But once again, these are ways through whom Jesus can work. But at the end of the day, it is the life of Jesus that can give you the kind of rest that your soul craves. And then number three, when we describe not a bad caricature of a Christian life, but a Truly abundant, fruitful, flourishing life. The kind of life that Jesus truly wants for you. Do you believe that He's the one that is ultimately going to be doing the heavy lifting in your soul? Have you trusted yourself too much? Has Jesus, the only one who can breathe this life into you, being the first one you say no to? Please, I'm not just trying to say. Because approach is everything. Just start having like these incessant devotions. Come to Jesus dependently. Jesus, I need you for this life. I need you for rest. I need you for the spiritual thirst. And maybe those are the only words you have. For you to receive what Jesus has to give you, you have to create the kind of space for Jesus to give these things to you. That is the heart behind devotion and prayer. No one's watching to give you a gold sticker for doing your devos. So now, how do we respond? What is that next step that Jesus is inviting you to take? And yes, it may cost you at some level. It may mean saying no to something in order to say yes to what He wants to give. But what is that next step? And just as the music is playing gently, I'm going to give us may even feel awkward after a period of time at about two minutes of reflection, allowing the spirit of the Lord to meet you and invite.